0: heart and just pray that you continue to provide for he and his family. And so, Lord, we just thank you for these opportunities. Pray that we would always be found faithful. But now, Father, I pray for our study that you would bless us in Jesus' name. Amen. What we've been looking at for the last few weeks, even month, we've been looking at man's hands, the ones that the Lord is being delivered into according to what he has said. Now, as we're entering into the crucifixion of Christ, nothing is taking the Lord, nor should it take us by any surprise or even mankind then, because it has been prophesied and Jesus had even spoken of it. It was his disciples that never really understood, never really got it, and we'll see that exemplified in Peter here tonight, and they were the ones who were taken by surprise, even to the point of despair. But Jesus said in Mark chapter 9, verse 31, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and after he is killed, he will rise the third day. And so the first study that we saw was Mary in her hands of worship and that holy anointing. Next, we saw Judas as he handed Jesus over in a horrible betrayal. After that, we saw the religious community as they laid hands on the Lord. We saw this last week in a hopeless act. And now tonight, we'll finish chapter 14 as we see Peter who was hands-off in a human failure. Even as he predicted what he would do, we see he failed and what he thought he could do, and well, we just see the futility of man in the face of all that God wants to do. So in Mark chapter 14, <clears throat> starting at verse 30, uh, 66, it says, Now as Peter was below in the courtyard, now this is in the midst of the Lord being examined, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and when she saw, Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were were with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you are saying. And he went out on the porch, and a rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him again and began to say to those who stood by, This is one of them. But he denied it again. And a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, Surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean, and your speech shows it. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. A second time the rooster crowed, then Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said to him before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And when he thought about it, he wept. He was emotionally destroyed here. Three times in the Bible, many times in the Bible, but three times that I want to point out, we see the ideal man In the ideal situation, and each time, we also see the futility of what man is able to do. And probably the biggest one would be Adam. Adam is in paradise. Adam walks with God daily, the Bible says, in the cool of the day. But he is in that place where there is only one commandment. Now, those who counted them, I've never counted them. I've taken the word of the the commentators. But there are 613 commandments in the Bible. And even then, God had whittled it down to 10 major ones. And then Jesus brought it down to two, two specific ones. Well, in the Garden of Eden, there was one commandment. So there was only one possible opportunity for sin. And what does Adam do? Well, he and Eve, they went for it. They, They did it. And so we're looking at man, probably one of the best examples of man physically and and even spiritually, and he failed. Now, Jesus wanting to make a point that mankind, you need to be born again. You within yourself have nothing that is desirable in the face of God, and so something radical needs to occur in your life. There needs to be the preaching of the Word of God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit, there needs to be a change that comes about you. And again, time after time, I ask you in this church to consider, when was the day that you were born again? If that experience of becoming born again is so radical, is so overwhelming, you should know of the date, or at least that time, when God caused that to occur. As I've said many times before as well, I don't ask people, are you a Christian? I ask them, are you born again? Because that specifically brings it to a time that God worked in their life. Well, the man who was the example was Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was the champion of mankind. The Lord knew what was in the heart of men, and it's as if mankind is presenting their champion here. And in Nicodemus, we saw that this man was really religious. He was a Pharisee, and I think he was a Pharisee of pure heart. He didn't seem to be arrogant. And he didn't seem to be overwhelmed with what he or who he was or what he could be. But he was a man who knew the word of God and was diligent in it. He was religious. Also, he was pretty powerful. We're told that he was a ruler. He was a man who, who, who was placed in a position of authority. He was somebody who was looked up to. And more than likely, he was exceptionally educated as well Because a Jew that had a Greek name as Nicodemus does, would be somebody that was more than likely raised in the Greek culture, probably had a Greek education. And so he was somebody that was very well respected, but he knew that he failed. He knew that something was wrong. The Spirit more than likely convicted him of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the Lord told him, as he sought after the Lord, you must be born again. Not, it's not that he was coming to him at night, but he was coming to him in the darkness of his sin. He was seeking out that which was missing. He thought he had, and it seemingly he did have, all the things that the world respects, but nothing that God did. And now we see Peter. Peter, who seemed to be the leader of the twelve and the one who has spent time under the direct teaching of the Lord, even in an inner circle of Peter, James, and John, not only is he going to fail, but his sense for justice is for self as well, ends up not being the Lord. He's more concerned with his well-being than Jesus' well-being when it comes time to the confrontation. If Annas, who we saw was the high priest last week, was an example of man's worst, then Peter is an example of man's best, but both fail in the sight of God. Matthew Henry said, Those that warm themselves with evildoers grow cold towards just people and God's things, and those who are fond of the devil's fireside are in danger of the devil's fire." And so, Peter, there he is. He's in the courtyard. Now, there are a few commendable things about what Peter is doing. He definitely has a heart for the Lord, but the problem is he's not seeing himself with the reality of who he is. Now, this does not occur in the Bible anywhere, but I remember a favorite saying of my father, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. And well, Peter's got here, but he's follow through with what he said he was going to be able to do and his protective mindset of the Lord. And so what we're going to see is Peter, as he's confronted, he's going to fail. But what I see here, at least though, he followed the Lord. At least he, he followed the Lord. His, his good intentions were towards Jesus Christ. Notice there's nobody else here that we're, we're told about. Peter was about to fail, but he failed in a situation in which none of the other disciples even dared to face. Remember Peter? This man is just so outgoing and and actually even moving past common sense at times. He was the one when they were on the boat in the midst of that storm when he asked the Lord to call him out. And in faith, he took that step out of the boat. How many of us would be willing to take that step out of the boat? And because he took that step of faith, It was only for a short period of time, but Peter actually walked on the water. The scriptures tell us he walked on the water. Unfortunately, he took his eyes off the Lord, and the storm overwhelmed him, and he started to sink. But he could tell them they could laugh at him for doing it, but he could say, yeah, but I walked on the water. Have you ever walked on the water? And I'm not saying going out and walking on water. But have you ever done that which is beyond what you're able to do because you had your eyes on the Lord and you heard the voice of the Lord and call you? It's when we do those things that we just see the glory of God. We see the glory of God and how God works in us and through us and how we're able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we, we even think that we're able to do through the Spirit who dwells within us. And so Peter did have that experience. And so Peter was willing at time to step beyond himself The second commendable thing about Peter is is that he does love the Lord Jesus Christ. He's forsaking common sense, personal safety, and the presence of those who are contrary to Jesus for the presence of Jesus Christ. He wants to be close to him, and he wants to do what he's able to do if, in fact, he is able to do anything. Thirdly, Peter had tried to defend Jesus. He lopped the ear off of this man, Malchus, but He's trying to achieve in the flesh, that which can only be achieved in the spirit. But again, you see an expression of the heart of this man here. And then remember Peter's confession of the Lord. And here's where he really went off a bit. And again, chapter 14, verse 31, and he spoke more vehemently. If I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said, likewise, if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Well, here's your opportunity, Peter, because we know it's only Jesus who would be able to die for anything, anybody, and it's only he who would be able to have an effect upon humanity. If Peter, in fact, is able to die for the Lord Jesus Christ, then the atoning death upon the cross would not occur, and mankind would still be dead in his sins and his trespasses. So now what we're going to look at, we'll spend the majority of time really two main concepts. But first, we're going to look at Peter's formula for failure, a formula for failure that really goes throughout all of the ages. And it's a formula that if we follow, we'll fail as well, especially when it comes to the work of ministry. And when I say the work of ministry, don't always be looking at the things that are in the bulletin or the things here at church. Your work of ministry is in marriage. Your work of ministry is raising children. Your work of ministry is going forth and making disciples. And so as we look at these concepts, and not that I want you to go and fail, but really what I want you to do is to avoid failure, but we see this four-step program that man who follows it, a woman who goes after it will definitely fail in what God has called him to do. First, first point of failure, place your confidence in what you can do, what you have done, and what you desire to do. God always wants to do a fresh work, and a lot of times we'll look upon our own strength or maybe what we have done in the past. It's something that I can struggle with as well as I go through studies, especially studies of books of the Bible that I've already done. I could save a lot of time just bringing up that study which I have already done. This study went really well, so I should do really well again. Well, it didn't do really well because it was a good study. It went really well because it was a work of the Spirit. And it's as we seek after the Holy Spirit that we see God do a great work. And matter of fact, we see that God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the, fo- the wise. And, and so it's not about me and it's not about my power or you and your power. Whatever it is that God has called you to, you're inept at it, spiritually speaking. But it's through God that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And so it's through you and your dependency upon God that God is glorified through that. And we'll so evaluate what God has called you to do. And I think we're all, again, all guilty of this. We have something that is beyond us that's coming up, and we'll worry, and we'll be concerned. We'll even stress over it because we know that this is beyond us. But we are not called to worry or distress. We're called to pray, and our dependency would be upon the Lord. And so, if you subscribe to the thought that you can do anything, if you put your mind to it, if you can win through intimidation, or God helps those who help yourself, you'll be destined for failure. But when you understand that God's attention and his face is directed towards those who direct their face towards him, it's then that we'll be able to realize the things that are beyond us, but also remembering that nothing is beyond God, and God using you is never beyond him. In Ecclesiastes 7.16, it says, Do not be overly righteous, do not be overly wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Why should you stretch beyond what reality is in your life when attempting to do something for the Lord because God's just going to allow you to go to the end of your rope and you will fail and great will be your fall? Again, Peter, notice his perspective. This time in Matthew 26, verse 33, uh, Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Notice what he said, even if all are made to stumble, even if these guys can't stand for you, Lord, I'm willing to stand for you. So again, he had an improper perspective of himself because we know he was no better than anybody else. Those people who didn't even show up into that courtyard, just by Peter being there doesn't mean that he was any better. The reason that Jesus referred to as Satan, remember when he told Peter to get behind me Satan, was because of his actions that Peter is contrary at that point to God's plan for salvation. Now, Peter is doing it in his ignorance. He has no desire to see God's plan not come to fruition. He doesn't want to be contrary to the Lord Jesus Christ's mission, but there was still a lot of learning to do. It was a process that God was using to break the man. It was a process that God was using then to teach and to train the man and show the man all that God would desire of him. We know that Peter, well, we're studying First Peter on Sunday mornings, very rich teachings. Why? Because it's all based upon, that's the foundation of Jesus Christ and through the Spirit without a doubt, but also Peter's failure, but then in turn, because of that failure, then his victories, seeing how God does move, realizing that it's not about a movement of me, it's always about a movement of him. And so here's Peter, his world's being rocked. Jesus Christ, the one who called him, said, come and and follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. He's placed everything, his life, into this man's hands. For three years, he's been following after him, and now he doesn't understand. What? You're going to die? And sometimes I kind of wonder, was Peter standing up for the Lord because of his love for him? And I, I believe it was, but also, was it for his love for himself? If you die, then what's to become of me? And I think he's trying to partially protect his investment, if you will. Secondly, if you want to fail in a work of the Lord, deny the Lord's assessment of your nature. Never forget who you are. Never forget how you are. And if you do, just look at the perfection of the Lord and realize all that you are imperfect of. Subscribe to the thought that if I'm strong, I can do anything. I'm invincible. I will stand strong in the face of adversity. Or maybe like Peter did, hey, I got a sword. Well, none of that will do any good in accomplishing what God desires. We must have an accurate perspective of who we are and our abilities because that's going to cause us to cast ourselves and our cares at the foot of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation 3.17, it says, "'Because you say, I am rich and have become weary and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked.'" Those who have the improper perspective of themselves, God has the proper perspective of them, and it's not a good thing. In Matthew twenty six thirty four, Jesus said to him, and surely I say, to you know, Peter had just said, maybe all these guys will deny you, I never will. Jesus said, surely I say to you that this night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And so, Peter, you... You're not who you think you are. Your abilities are not what you think that they are as well. Dependency on the Lord is the primacy for all that we do. Dependency upon the Lord is the primacy for everything that we do. We ought not to be doing anything at this church just simply because we've done it before. We're not to do it just because maybe we've gotten good at something, whatever it might be always looking for a fresh movement of the Spirit. What does the Spirit want to do in this particular case? Now, one of the things that we have done, I believe, since we've been a church, yeah, we've done it every single year, is Vacation Bible School. And God blesses every year, and I think we're keeping that in pretty good perspective of what the Lord wants to do and the Lord working through it. And so we've got to keep that, we've got to maintain that. We ought not to do anything other than just continue to preach the Word just because we have always done it. Because what that does is, as we're seeking to do something new, as we're seeking to do something fresh, it keeps our dependency upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Because even as I said earlier, when you step out of the boat, it's then that you see God's glory and you see the hand of God in it. Because what God always does in some of the events that I have been a part of, even before this church, uh, just even the night before, is the mindset of, what in the world am I doing? I know, because see, I can put on a good show, we can all put on a good show, but I know that I have no ability to cause anybody to come to anything, for anything to be successful in the sight of God, to God to be glorified through anything. But it's that mindset that we cast our, again, our cares upon Him, and as we do so, really through the agency of prayer, would be our next concept here, um, we see God just do a great work, and there's no greater feeling to know that you have been used by the Lord. Thirdly, if you want to fail, sleep through times of spiritual preparation or fail to pray. And it's not just sleeping, or maybe it is, but how is it that we sleep other than just closing our eyes? Well, spend more time at the movies, the TV, secular publications, or whatever else we waste our time with. Not that those things are bad within themselves, but if they become the biggest part of what we do, if they start robbing God of a time of prayer, then we're going to be soon failing in what he has called us to do. Through modern means of communication, we can talk to anyone, anywhere in the world at a moment's notice. I was over at my mom's on Monday, and every time, especially when Terry's not with me. Terry had a meeting, so she didn't go with me. So I went to my mom's, and my mom sees this as an opportunity. My mom is always trying to pawn off stuff on us, and I have a weak spot for stuff. I uh, okay, yeah, sure, I'll take it all. My wife, before I go, before I go over, she goes, "Don't come back with anything." And it's like okay. So I get there. My mom, first thing, hey, I want to show you some stuff that I have out in the garage. And it's all matter of fact. A lot of the stuff she's already showed it to me, but she's saying like, no, 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 no. But then she had an old phone, an old wall hanging, and I didn't bring it home. An old wall hanging phone. You know, it was the old type. You know, it's got the thing on the receiver and the ta 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 kind of the dial call and all of that. And anyway, when I am driving home, I was thinking, ah, I should have got the phone. I could have just kind of hung it up somewhere and kind of a you know conversational speech. I would have hide it, hid it from my wife so she never would have known. And um, but it just got me remembering. I can remember as a kid, when you picked up the phone, you had to make sure the other party wasn't on. We had what was called a party line. People today, young people today won't understand this, but you would have a, a phone number that was unique to yourself, but when you picked it up, there could be other people, some of your neighbors that were on the line. I don't know how all of that worked. But today we live in a time that, remember long-distance calls? I never thought about it. There's really no such thing as long-distance calls anymore. You know, anybody out of the 909 area code was a toll call, and we don't have to deal with that anymore. Matter of fact, it's an amazing thing. I remember somebody told me in the early 90s, we were talking about cell phones back then, and he says, the person told me, one day everybody's going to have a cell phone, and we're just going to carry it around, that's going to be our primary phone number. I told him, that ain't never going to happen. Well, it's it's happened and it's upon us. Cell phones, texting, messaging, and all of these things, we can instantly get a hold of anybody that we want to. And since we can reach out and touch someone at a moment's notice, we have that privilege with God as well. His ear is always towards his beloved. We have been commanded by the Spirit through the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians to pray without ceasing, to continually pray, to have that line of communication open. Another thing I was thinking about, I was talking to somebody else. Remember the modems that you used to have? If you wanted to check your email, you'd have to, you know, do the thing and click on the modem, and that was that big train wreck sound. And finally, you would, after a series, you would get connected and you could check your email. Then you would go off because it was tied in through your phone, and you didn't want to tie up your phone line. And so you would have to constantly be going in and out. And then DSL and the other means came upon the scene, and then you were constantly connected. Which way is your prayer life gone? Which way has Are you a modem prayer life, when just something arises, then you make that connection? Or are you DSL prayer life, where you're constantly connected to the Lord? And again, what does it mean to pray without ceasing? It's not about a formulaized pray that you're praying. It's just having that conversation with God and you know that you have his ear, it's just to, once you develop that conversation with the Lord, then you'll start running things through him. Not only are you speaking to him, but you'll also develop that ear to hear back from him as well. And it's what it means to truly be directed by the Lord. This was one of the rebukes that Jesus gave to Peter before his denial in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 through 32, It says, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon. Notice he didn't say, Peter, Peter. He's talking to him as who he is in the flesh. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you. Can you imagine that? Hey, Mike, guess what? The devil's asked for you. What did you say, Lord? (laughs) That'd be a pretty scary thing. Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But, and this is a huge word, I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. Now, his faith is failing here in Mark, but again, it's not about the momentarily lapse of faith in our Christian lives. It's about that which is long-term. And there's going to be many times that we fail, and we'll be looking at this at the end of the study even here tonight. Peter did well, but then Peter failed. But then Peter was restored, and Peter was one who endured to the end. And, and we see this victory of the Apostle Peter, would it be to God that we would all have that victory within our lives? Yeah, it's going to be littered with failure, but praise God, we serve a God of grace who is faithful to forgive if we, in turn, are faithful to repent. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when, and this is always the best part of this for me, and when you have returned to me, that part of faith that doesn't fail. Because what is he telling? He's telling Peter this horrible thing that Satan is after him, that his faith would not fail. And I would imagine Peter, as I would be, and I'm sure everybody, we'd be thinking, if Satan's after me, am I going to be able to withstand this? And he says, and when you had returned to me, think that through. That means, and Peter, you're going to fail, but you're also going to come back. Everybody in this room, you're going to fail. You're going to fail in your relationship with Jesus Christ but he prays for you. He ever lives to make intercession. And when you return to him, strengthen your brethren. Strengthen your brethren. Well, our commission is to go forth and to make disciples. We're to be others oriented. And when you return, when you repent, and when you understand that back in the fold, back in right standing with the Lord, once again, he, he's given me grace that I would be able to strengthen those who Satan has asked, that he'd be able to sift them by, uh, uh, as, with, uh, as we, and that they would be enabled to be able to return back to the Lord as well. And do you see how this is righteousness repeated? This is Jesus ministering to Peter, and Peter would minister to somebody else and so on and so forth. Just think if that righteousness was repeated even in this room or in this church, in the body of Christ that those who are walking strong in the Lord would truly be there for those who are weak at that moment, or maybe even those who are in utter failure. So many times we want to condemn those who are failing. I mean, think of what sin is. Sin is rebellion to God. It's not just somebody who made a mistake. Yeah, that's missing the mark too, but there's the transgression part also. It's in those people who are in utter rebellion to God, and it's those people who are of the mindset, kick them out but we've got to be of the mindset of bring him in. Bring him in, not ignoring the sin, but seeing the person brought to that right standing before the Lord. Because Peter, again, not only did he fail here, but this crushed him to such a degree that he seemed to want to walk away, but is in the midst of his walking away, going back to the old life. Again, we'll close with that, but God met him and God restored him. Peter, Peter was sleeping when he should have been praying. Lastly, place yourself in a position to fail. You don't have to touch a flame to get burned. Just get close. Think you can stop after just one. Lie to yourself. Say you can walk away at any time, forgetting the scars that linger. Think that it can never happen to you, more than likely just what Peter did. Peter stood at the door of the courtyard. He sought the comforts of the world with the world, And he ended up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm chapter 1, the first two verses, notice what it starts. It starts with shunning the negative at the beginning. It says, blessed or content, speaking of this man's life, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. To walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Do not conduct your life according to the advice of those who do not know God. Everything we have for godly living is here in the scriptures. It's why we're not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren, because this is where ministry occurs. Not just here from the pulpit to the pew, but out in the fellowship area, and so on and so forth. To stand in the path of the sinners is to be counted amongst those who sin openly. And then to sit in the seat of the scornful is to be set in a position of authority and do so in such a way that it causes others to stumble in their walk. Back in Mark chapter 14, verse 71, then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of who you speak. And the idea is, is may God kill me and send me to hell if I am lying. You see the degree to which he is now denying the Lord. It's not just, I don't know him, but you see he's desperately trying to defend himself. Now, the main point that I want to make this evening is based upon the biblical reality of our how our usefulness is tied to our brokenness. How our usefulness is tied to our brokenness. God is in the process of making Peter somebody as useful in his hand. But before he can make him useful, he must break the man. And I want to look at a couple of things here as we get ready to close. Verses 67 and 69, we see the same Greek word here, the Greek word idusa. It says in verse 67, and when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, are you also with Jesus of Nazareth? And look down at verse 69, and the servant girl saw him again, looked at him and saw him, the same words. The idea is is that she looked at him for the purpose of understanding who is this man, to, to learn who he is and to understand who he is. Because she has an inkling, more than likely, well, we did see because of his speech, he's from up north, that betrays him. Remember, they're in Judah at this time. They're in Jerusalem at this time. And here's a man who's dressed different. Here's a man who is different than us, just like those guys who used to follow this Messiah around. And so she's looking at him in order, well, for the purpose of understanding who he is. And so this is for the purpose of... Of doing him harm. And we'll, we'll do this. We'll look at people for the purpose of doing them harm, for the purpose of rejection or whatever it might be, seeing if they live up to who we think they should be or the people we fellowship should be. But also see this contrast, and you have to, we're not going to turn there, but we have to look at Luke's account of this event, Luke 22, verses 61 through 62. So we just saw that this young servant girl. This young girl, I mean, Peter's a fisherman. I don't know how big he was, but he had to be a pretty tough guy to make a living out on the sea. This is a little servant girl, and he couldn't stand against her. And she looked at him, and he folded as she did. But just think, later on it says, And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Behold, the, or before the rooster crows, you would deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. And so this woman looked at him for the purpose of understanding who he was, and that's where she made her accusations, which in fact were true. And then after that, then the Lord looked at him. But when the Lord looked at him, it's a different word. It's not the same word as this woman to get an understanding of him. Jesus already has an understanding of him. It's embelepo. It means he's considering him. He already knows who he is, and I imagine... As Jesus is being led to the cross, as he's about to undergo this this amazing torture and and just taking sin upon himself, he's looking at Peter, and he's considering the one whom he loves. And he's considering the heartbreak, and he's considering the failure. Now, it's important to understand where Jesus is considering these things, because he considers the same thing in you. He's considering the things, these things of Peter in the midst of Peter's breaking. When God allows situations and circumstances to interact upon your life for the purpose of breaking you, because he wants to use you, he considers your situation. He considers your suffering. He considers your hardship. These are not things that God takes lightly. We're told in the book of Hebrews, as Jesus ascended to heaven and he sat at the right hand of the Father. But remember when Stephen was stoned in the book of Acts? What does it say? I see the Lord standing. And the idea is, 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 as Stephen is going through this, and he's entering, about to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the Lord rises up for the purpose of receiving him. Now the purpose of the Lord seated at the right hand of the Father is, the work's done. But the only other job that Jesus has until he comes back is the receiving of the saints unto himself. And so he looks at the apostle Peter, and he considers his hardship. He's not going to leave Peter. Peter is not left to his own devices. Peter's not being punished here. Peter's being changed here. Peter's being prepared here. God's not punishing you. God's changing you. And he uses those hard and deep things to change you. We'll think, oh, I'm sinning, I'm going through this punishment. You're going to heaven. God is always the greater judge. God judges us even better than we can judge ourselves. And now he has chosen to judge us just as if we have never sinned, based upon uh, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so because the Lord looked at Peter and saw his brokenness later on, He would go and look for Peter. Now, go ahead and turn over to John, John chapter 21. John chapter 21, I'm going to look at verses 1 through 3 first, because here's Peter and his mind, it's over, I messed up. How many times have you thought it's over? I messed up. How could I possibly be a child of God? How could I possibly be a disciple of Jesus? Peter, how could I possibly be an apostle of Christ I have failed? Says after these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. Then they said to him, we're going with you. They went out and immediately got into the boat and that night and they caught nothing. Of course they caught nothing. They never caught anything. These guys were the worst fishermen in the world. But it was only when Jesus directed them that we ever see them catch anything. And the idea is just simply the futility of that which they're doing, which is not what God had called them to do. Jesus was not allowing this hardship to enter into Peter's life for the purpose of making him a fisherman again. God doesn't bring difficulty in your life that you would walk away, or you would go back to who you were or what you were doing before, but that you would be able to thrive in all that God has called you to do. And so it's skipping down to verse 15, Peter realizes it's the Lord and now he has jumped in the water because again, Peter just never did anything halfway and he swam to Christ. And now they're sitting at the seashore. It says, so when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, now it's time for the lesson here. And this is, you know, the events that we were talking about. This is where it has brought Peter. It has brought Peter to an accurate picture of who he is. And we see this in the questions and the answers that are given here. And when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, and again, he's calling him Simon, son of Jonah. He's speaking to him in his humanity. Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me more than these? Do you love me? Do you sacrificially love me? Do you love me based upon how I love you more than these? Well, remember what he said before, even if all of these would forsake you, I never will. He was saying, I love you, Lord, more than these. And now there's been theologians who are a lot smarter than I am who said, no, this was the fish and so on and so forth. But I bet I imagine the lesson is where the Lord has it. And the Lord said, I'm sorry, where am I at? Okay, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you agape me more than these? you sacrificially love me as you said that you did? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you, that I have a fond affection for you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Then he said again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you agape me? Do you sacrificially love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I phileo you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And the idea here is, is Jesus is saying, do you love me to the same degree that I love you? And Peter is saying, you know, Lord, that I'm only able to fillet owe you. That's the best I got. That's the best that I can offer you. And in essence, what Jesus is saying, that's okay. I'll use people like that. Because you have a proper perspective of who you are. And you also have a proper perspective of who I am. Verse 17, then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, "'Do you?' Now this time he doesn't say agapi. he says, "'Phileo me.' Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, "'Do you love me?' And he said to him, "'Lord, you know all things, you know that I phileo you.' And Jesus said to him, "'Feed my sheep.' Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish.' This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. When he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. And then down in verse 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain, speaking of the apostle John, till I come. What is that to you? You follow me. Jesus's first recorded words are in John chapter one. And one of the first things he says is follow me. And now what we have here at the end of the chapter of the Gospel of John, his last recorded words are, once again, follow me. And really what John included in between chapter 1 and chapter 21 is how to follow the Lord. These are the lessons that are given for the purpose of us the purpose of us following Christ, walking or living our lives in the manner that Jesus did, that we would follow hard after him, that we would be used by him and glorify him in all that we do. Now, I'll close with this last verse. These are Peter's last words that we have in the Bible in Second Peter chapter 3, verses 17 through 18. He's basically telling us, learn the lesson that I had to learn the hard way, You, therefore, beloved, since you know beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness. He could say that because he fell from his own, not God's, but his own steadfastness. He's given us a warning. Don't do what I did. Beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow, and then he's saying, this is important because I've experienced this. This is what the important part is. Grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So Peter fell from his own steadfastness, but he, in the midst of it, he was met by the grace of God. Don't try to stand in your own, what you're able to accomplish, but submit yourself to the grace of God. Because anytime we try to accomplish anything apart from God, it's sin. We must, we must stay under the glory of God, that place where we're met by the grace of God so that we'd be able to glorify God just as, well, Peter did even in his imperfection. Father, we just thank you for this time in your word, especially this picture, Lord, of this imperfect man whom we should all be able to relate to. This man who so wanted to please you, but the problem was he attempted to do it in the flesh. But God, you and the Spirit met him in a very real and practical way. And as you did, you altered his life. Not only did you alter his lives but you altered the lives of so many more. And so, Father, I pray that you would look upon us. Look upon us in our weakness. Look upon us in our failures. Look upon us, Father, in just all of our humanness and be gracious to us. And as you are, Father, just enable us to follow you and to achieve the work that you have called us to do, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please? Just one last announcement, a reminder. Sal, I'm sure, brought it up in the announcement, but we are taking sign-ups for both the couple's uh, dinner that we are having for Valentine's. I believe it's on the 16th. This is Saturday. Uh, Saturday. Um, also, if you're unable to attend, we'd appreciate it if you'd be able to serve. We need servants that night as well. There's a sign-up sheet. If you want to sign up for the couple's dinner, you sign up at the information booth. If you want to sign up and serve, the information, or at least a sheet, is at the sign-up table. Other than that, God bless you guys. Have a great week. <clears throat>
1: Uh, I love this song, too. It's an older one. It talks about just the joy that we should have as believers. And that is our wit- our witness, you know, um, just the fact that Jesus is seen in us in our lives and in the things we do. May our homes be filled with dancing. May our streets be filled with joy. Let me get maybe one of these right here. There we go. May our homes be filled with dancing. May our streets be filled with joy. May injustice bow to Jesus. As the people turn and pray from the mountains. From the mountains to the valley, hear our praises rise to you. From the heavens to the nations, hear the singing, fill the air. Light shine in the darkness. May a light shine in the darkness as we walk before the cross. May your glory fill the whole earth. as the waters o'er the sea from the mountains from the mountains to the valley hear our praises arise to you from the heavens from the heavens to the nations Hear the singing, fill the air. Sing together, hallelujah. Hallelujah. the mountains, from the mountains, to the valley, hear our praises, rise to you. From the heavens, from the heavens, to the nations, hear the singing. Amen, God bless you guys, thanks for worshiping with me, God bless you guys.